0: You're listening to The Dance Talks Podcast, brought to you by Dance Bug Channel.
1: Welcome to this edition of The Dance Talks Podcast. My name is Al Heller, and today we are joined by Dr. Chelsea Purati. And she is a mental performance consultant and has her PhD in sports psychology, so she's smarter than me. Dr. Chelsea's goal is to help dance teachers make bigger impacts in the lives of their dancers. With her background as a professional ballerina, Chelsea knows what it takes to become a professional dancer and is also aware of the mental and physical toll it takes on one's mind and body. Chelsea strives to help dance teachers raise strong, confident, resilient, and successful dancers, all while being mindful and intentional with their goals, dreams, and ambitions. Chelsea will be telling us about herself, her work, and where you can find her workshops. Let's welcome Dr. Chelsea Pierotti to Dance Talks.
0: Hi, Al. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to chat with you.
1: Yes, and, I, and so am I. Very, very impressive. Um, a PhD is not uh, something that most of the people I speak to have, unless it was given to them. <laughs> there are a few of those. <laughs> uh, but uh, you've obviously done a lot of work to get there. And I definitely want to dive into everything that comes along with dance psychology and all of the things that, that, uh, that you work with. But before we do that, I'd love to know just a little bit about Chelsea, a little bit about your background, how you got started in dance and maybe how that uh, transition occurred to a academic career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up kind of a traditional studio dancer uh, was you know, tried a couple other sports when I was really little and it was dance pretty early on. So all this, all the studio um, training, all the different styles, I fell in love with ballet more specifically around 12 and started doing, you know, like the summer training intensives and uh, really kind of Kept going deeper onto that side that I really loved. And then, uh, went on, uh, was a professional, as you said, for like early on in college. And then that's actually where the division happened is that I had to decide between the academic side of my life and the professional side. It became clear I couldn't do both. Um, and so I was actually only professional for the one year and I chose to go, uh, deeper onto the academic side and focus there. Uh, and, at the time, I actually didn't know sports psychology was a thing. I was just into psychology more broadly. um, And so I kind of deviated away from it for a while, or not really away. I didn't know it was there, (laughs) just deeper into psych. And then found sports psychology uh, a little later down the path and realized I could bring it back and talk, dance with all of my psychology, education, and passion. Um, And that really is when my uh, career and my kind of my passion took off because I was able to marry my two loves of um, psychology and dance.
1: So as a um, competitive dancer, then moving in, you said you had one year where you're a professional dancer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Did you have some of the sort of stresses and, and issues that you now deal with? Were you aware oh. of the, mm-hmm. of all that struggle? And, and if so, was that part of a motivating factor to move into academics or was it just the love of academics as opposed to performance?
0: I think I did know back then, but I didn't have the language for it or the words for it. And I really was more academic focused. I just liked, I've always liked school. I'm a professor now there's a reason I've always enjoyed that part of it. Um, but when I was dancing, I definitely was dealing with a lot of kind of the mental side. I had the fixed mindset sometimes. Uh, and the big one for me was the performance anxiety. I know that, uh, I would get in my head as we say, and really struggle with performing, especially if I was in the front or had a solo or a highlight or something in the routine, um, I would shut down and that, uh, really, I know it it hurt my whole career, but I didn't know it at the time, how much of that was the mental game. I blamed my skills, right? Like, oh, if I was a better dancer, I would be confident and I would be fine uh, when we know that that's not true. (laughs) Some of the most talented dancers still struggle with that mental side. Um, But I know, knowing what I know now, I know that mental side was a big part of why I uh, pulled away from being on stage pretty quickly. I found out I liked Teaching, I like rehearsals. I like being at the bar. I didn't really like performing and competing, um, and I think a lot of that was because my performance anxiety was holding me back.
1: So, as you went through uh, your psychology uh, degree and as you kind of learned about sports psychology, when when did it become obvious to you that you were struggling with something and that others may be struggling as well? And and how did you transition into, into dance was, was there anything particular that was available to you? Like, was there a, a stream that was going to lead to dance or did you have to kind of create that?
0: I, there was a, a gap in between my professional side and what I do now where I was coaching a high school team and I I fell into that because my younger sister was on the team and they found themselves without a coach partway through the year and I just wanted to help my sister or else the team would have, you know, probably been, um, they would have shut it down. So I actually found coaching in a more traditional like sport sense. And that I absolutely loved. I loved the the leadership piece. I loved helping those high school athletes with all of the stuff that I was dealing with and everything that high school athletes are struggling with um, when you are competitive and you want things to be perfect as most dancers do. Uh, so it really came from falling in love with my high school athletes and learning a lot about how to help them be successful on and off the floor, uh, realizing how much, you know, coaching isn't just about their dance skills. I was fell in love with helping them be better humans, right? And that just they're taking everything we learn from dance into the rest of their lives, whether they go on to dance in college or professionally or not. Uh, and so I loved coaching. I coached for about 12 years while I was in kind of school the whole time. So it was a nice way, like, as I kept coaching and as I kept going to school and I kept integrating everything I was doing and tr- kind of trying it out and seeing what worked. Most of the research uh, from a in my PhD, most of the research is on kind of the big sports, right? They're on football, rugby, baseball, um, soccer, and so it was fun for me to say, well, what does this look like for a dancer? What does this look like in our world? And what makes us unique as performers who are not always competing? Uh, and that I really enjoyed that aspect of it and was able to then kind of, as you said, create that path towards bringing sports psychology to dancers
1: specifically. So can we go down that path? What does make dancers unique against a football or a baseball or a track?
0: I think I have always still used the word athletes and I always will. I think dancers are absolutely athletes, but that doesn't take away from the artistry. And I think that's what makes us unique is that we are... um, you know, as we use our bodies, we are athletic in every way. But our outcome is can be more artistic than it is competitive. And then, but dance has a side of us that is incredibly competitive. When you look at uh, there's you know studios and high school and college teams, and there's an area that is very traditional sport. The way we define competitive sport, we're not really different. Um, but the artistry side of dance is very unique but all of the same mental aspects apply whether or not we're going to like rank ourselves at the end we still care about it and dance has such a culture of of perfectionism um even if you are performing and you're not going to get scored or ranked that there's still that desire to make sure what i have learned in the studio is executed perfectly on stage and so that uh, even though we're not competing i think that is Uh, it's still just as strong for us. And then sometimes even more so, but it's that marriage between artistry and um, athleticism that I think makes us really unique and special.
1: That's, that's fascinating. I'm really, I'm really interested in because I hadn't really thought about that, but obviously we think of dancers here as athletes. I know there's Mm -hmm. a question in the, in the world, whether an athlete is a dancer, but there's no question uh, they are athletic. The, the, The emotional side, though, the Mm -hmm. performance side, which needs to be brought along with the athletics and then done at such a high level uh, of intensity, can you address a little bit about the emotional uh, toll that that dancing takes on the individual?
0: Absolutely. And I think for many athletes, they're advised to process emotions. Like before you take the field, process, deal, and then just go you know, let it flow while you're an athlete, which is great advice for most athletes. For dancers, we often need to be in the depths of raw emotion in the moment while we're performing or competing. And that is very difficult. It's very hard to keep that, uh, you know, not let it override what we're Uh, physically capable of doing, getting too lost in the emotion. Right. And I think maybe some of us have felt that when you are, you know, crying on stage in the middle of something so powerful and if it can actually hurt your physical performance and sometimes it enhances it. Um, But so yes, I think there's, it's unique and it's different and it's something that takes specific training And it's actually something I talk to a lot of teachers about because we have this old dance adage. And if you've heard the idea of like, oh, just leave it at the door, right? If you have something bad going on, you leave it at the door, you walk in and you are in class and you're here and you're focused. And I've, I lived that. I said that for a lot of years. And now I really take it more of you need to learn how to process and handle and sit in those emotions while training, because that's what we do. And that's how we perform. And so you can't ignore them, uh, but you also can't be so caught up in them that you can't focus on what the teacher's doing or focus on your technical excellence in the moment. So there is a, a mental skill in kind of resilience through emotions and being able to say, that's what this emotion is. I understand where it's coming from. I don't have to shut it down, but I need to channel it into something good um, and so I think we used to treat emotions as like either go deep into those emotions or shut them off. And I think there's a medium. I think there's an in-between where you can be in them and be aware of them, but still be, you know, physically present and focused on the technical skills in the moment. And when you're able to do both, you're gonna be a stronger performer because that's how what we need as dancers. We can't shut our emotions off and have an authentic performance.
1: How early in a dancer's career? should they begin focusing on this should young teachers and young dancers be focusing on this this mindfulness early or is it something that they need to think about as they maybe mature
0: yeah that's a great question and it there's kind of two parts to it so there's a lot of aspects about mental skills that start when you are first communicating so you're talking like toddlers. Doesn't matter. Um, when we first uh, talk to very young children, we are setting the groundwork for growth and fixed mindsets. And I think that growth mindset and what triggers a fixed mindset uh, carries our entire lives. And so that starts incredibly young. And if it's not done well, and then when you get to you know high school pre professional, it's really hard to turn it around. And you can. Uh, but that starts really young, but from a, uh, more, uh, self-aware and more reflective place. Like if you are, if I'm going to talk to a dancer about being more in tune and aware of those emotions and processing them, that to me is going to be a little bit more middle school, early high school, 11, 12 kind of idea, um, not getting into a big neuroscience sidebar but the brain changes significantly right around that time and the ability to think about your own thinking starts right around then and so if you ask you know a 9 year old to really sit and process their own thoughts it's it's not that they can't but it is challenging and it's going to not be a great area of focus for them. But once you hit about 12 and especially well into high school, uh, when I work a lot with high school dancers, I can see the difference between the high school freshman and the high school senior (laughs) and just how they're able to think about this stuff. Uh, but so I would say starting it around middle school, just the awareness of like, you have the ability to think about your own, thoughts and emotions and just letting that be a normal process that they will get better at as they get older
1: so this would be even if they're not feeling any pressure or any stress the idea is to guide them in the right yeah, direction exactly. i think so it's a
0: big awareness then of just helping the dancers understand that you have more uh control or awareness of your own thoughts than i think we realize like we just assume these negative thoughts happen and that's just who i am or this uh, you know, getting caught up in that, and we can't always stop them. And that, but we can understand them, and we can accept them without judgment. And so it's more talking through and learning that. Um, I spend a lot of it, yeah, just on the awareness that that's that's even possible. So many high school athletes and even college and professionals, uh, I think they have this negative inner script going that they just assume this is what everybody hears, and I just have to deal with this rather than recognizing how much we can learn to change and adapt and um, not live in such a negative space. Don't forget, you can watch this week's episode of Dance Talks on dancebugchannel.com with added photo and video content. You will also find other Dance Bug original shows like Versus the Dance Comp Battle and The Dance Bug Show. And now, back to this week's conversation.
1: Without breaking confidentiality rules, um, is there a a case study you can share with us of, of somebody that had gone through something and then how you were able to kind of help them through it? Because I think sometimes it's really helpful if somebody is dealing with some issues to hear about success stories.
0: Sure. Yeah. Okay. So you're right. Keeping it broad. uh, Let's see. There was a college athlete who um, had a pretty serious injury. And it was right before their like biggest competition. So, uh, that injury took her out of that event. She wasn't able to compete. It was about six months of physical rehab. And then she had about six months before they were going to be back at that big competition. Uh, so she got the all clear from the orthopedic surgeon. (laughs) She was, you know, physically cleared. Uh, but was really struggling to dance with the same level of power. She was reserved, a little scared, you know, kind of holding back and didn't, you know, didn't jump as high, didn't have the same um, intensity and power that she had before. And so uh, we started talking uh, pretty regularly for those few months leading up to uh, that big event because she was obviously nervous to go back to the same location Um, and then struggling to dance the way she used to be. And so what happens, anybody who's been through an injury, you can probably relate. You get this idea in your head of, oh, I'll never be able to dance like that. Or I can't do that move. What if I get hurt again? Or, you know, my knee will never be the same. My ankle will never be the same. Um, And so there was a lot of that kind of negative script and self-doubt and lack of confidence. And so we spent um, some time basically just talking through, uh, it's, it's rooted in CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's not therapy. So I think that's, what's important is like therapy is also very helpful and powerful when you're dealing with something like this. Uh, what I do is not therapy. Um, so it's more about, we are basically helping her notice, okay, you are in class, your training, and you notice the thought of like, oh my God, what if I get hurt? And practicing what to do with that, right? And practicing how to notice the thought like, oh, there it is. I'm still scared. Okay. Um, and there's two approaches to how you do this. Uh, on one hand, you can try to um, always flip it to something positive, which works for some dancers to be like nope I am strong I've got that you know like I am especially when she's physically cleared at that point right so she would just know I'm strong I'm here I'm ready um for some dancers that feels fake (laughs) and be like no but I'm not but I'm actually really scared and so if it feels fake it's more about uh okay let's just notice that thought okay I'm scared to do this jump again Okay, I'm scared. I have a right to be scared, right? And kind of taking that thought with acceptance and without judgment and getting like mad at ourselves. Cause what we do is we get mad, right? Like, get over it. You should be fine by now. Like, this is ridiculous. You're being stupid. Come on. And that internal script is hard to shut down. So instead, accepting, like, yeah, I'm scared and I have every right to be scared. And that's going to be a part of this journey. But I know I'm safe. I know. I'm, I'm capable. And so we kind of just talk through other, other scripts, other things to replace it with. Um, and it just takes a lot of practice and she'd have good days and she'd have bad days again. And kind of over those months, more and more good days of dealing with that till her confidence got back and to wrap it up with the happy ending that she was able to compete at, you know, full physical and mental capacity by the end of the year. So it was a it was a journey, and I think that's an important part of this, is that this mental health training isn't a a one-off just fix it fast, right? We just like our physical training, we it takes a lot of repetition and a lot of consistency in order to really see the impact, but it, it does work.
1: Not everybody has the uh, opportunity to go to a psychologist. Uh, not everybody yeah. has the opportunity to work through these issues, but, Injuries are common. Um, Mm -hmm. The advice that you gave was very specific. Is there some general sort of techniques that you can share for those young dancers who are dealing with the kind of injuries that we're talking about? Mm Because I know that that is a challenge when they come back feeling that they're going to get hurt again or not being able to do what they used to be able to do. So what can they take just on a general I can't afford. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we're going to the time. Yeah, but what 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 can they use? What what techniques would work? Sure,
0: I think the big the big picture approach is to think about uh, growth mindset versus fixed, um, and that's something that there's tons of books and free resources and lots of great information out there. Uh, but at its core, a fixed mindset is when a dancer believes like I have a certain level of dance talent. And nothing I do could, like, I can't get past that. Like I have my kind of ceiling. I'm never going to be flexible or, you know, I can't do left or I can't, you know, I don't look good in hip hop. I'm just a ballet dancer, right? That's all kind of a fixed mindset where growth uh, is at its core is about the belief that hard work and effort will uh, allow for growth. Like I can get better over time if I work on it. And so with an injury specifically, if you have a fixed mindset before that injury, then that tends to compound because you have that, well, now I will always have, you know, a bad left knee, or now I will always, you know, I can't ever get to that. I can't get back because I'm I'm hurt or I'm injured. It becomes kind of part of who you are versus a growth mindset approach to, to life, right? But it'll help from an injury from the sense that maybe I'm not back to the dancer I was, but I'm not back yet. With time and with effort, I will get there, right? And just kind of that whole growth mindset approach to recovery, um, you recover faster and it helps with that kind of that mental aspect. Because I think, mental, the mental health is a big part of just going through PT or going through all of that rehab too. Um, and knowing that like, I'm not back, I can't do what I used to be able to do, but I just, I can't do it yet. Or it doesn't, I'm not defined by that injury. It's not everything about who I am.
1: And that advice wouldn't be specific to dance. It sounds like that's advice for general life. Just, yes, absolutely. Because I, I know I, I personally, and I know many people do get into that sense of well this is who I am this is where mm-hmm. I this is what it is and and I'll just deal with it and yes you're saying that we can change that
0: we absolutely can oh yeah i mean it's a big part of i think all the kids in school as soon as you're like oh i'm just i'm not good at spanish oh i i hate math right we do it in school constantly we kind of label ourselves as what i'm good at and what i'm not Um, and we, obviously we do it in dance. Um, I, you know, we do it in, at work, right. There's things that I'm good at and things that I'm not. And that's often that's real. Like it's rooted in some sort of actual like talent differences and things that you like and don't like it is real, but it's the growth mindset approach of like, okay, because I, this doesn't come naturally to me doesn't mean I can't ever do it just because it's not easy right away. I can still get there. And I think that's what a lot of dance teachers are dealing with is the kids who say, oh, I can't do that trick. I'm like, you tried it once. <laughs> you're like, no, you're, it's going to take some time. You'll get there. And so working through that growth mindset of, you know, no, you can't get something right away, or this this combo was too was too hard in class. So, but that doesn't mean you won't get it with time and like, don't give up on it right away. It's just that kind of, that that mental toughness piece that I think a lot of a lot of us are looking for in our lives and as teachers looking for in our in our dancers.
1: So let me uh, pivot a bit into the competition world because mm-hmm. th- that is kind of the first introduction for many dancers to sort of the competitive marketplace but also this is where they kind of judge themselves against other dancers and make decisions yeah. maybe about the future. You know, this is this something I can do? Yeah. How do you feel about the competitive world? You 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 went through it. Are you mm-hmm. happy with it? Are there changes that you'd like to see made? What what are your thoughts?
0: There's always changes. Uh I do think it's getting better. I'll I'll give that. Uh and I i guess I would also say it's not universal. I think there are uh, how
1: how companies inter- interrupt you for a second. How how would you say it's gotten better? Like specifically what what i think
0: there is an increased there's an increased awareness of the mental aspects and just understanding what um i think the language has changed some right the kind of language we use when we talk to kids um so i think it used to be more rooted in like you're not good enough unless you can do these skills or you don't look right for this part. So you can't be a part of this, right? There was, um, just a lot of that kind of negative talk and putting down. And I, unfortunately that is still there. And there are still times when, you know, you'll get shut down or not get, not get into a company or lose in a competition because of something, um, more arbitrary like that, but it's getting better. The awareness, the conversation, the understanding about how we talk to kids, especially. Um, and, changes. I think there's, there's always this balance to be made between, uh, being too like coddling and nice and everybody gets a trophy. I hate that. I don't want that either. (laughs) So that's not helpful. Um, but the traditional competitive, um, ranking can be really hard on kids. And so I don't actually want to like get rid of competitions or say that we can't do it because everybody gets a trophy doesn't help our kids either. So it's more about setting up a competitive system where when it when a kid gets second, right? And second is usually the worst, right? That's the one that hurts the most. <laughs> so when a kid if they come home second or they didn't make finals or they didn't rank in their solo or their best friend ranked above them or whatever it is that's upset them, the, it's more about the conversation after the competition at home from the parents and from the teacher of like, what does that second place mean? And to a child, it's like, it means I suck or it means I'm not good enough. And it's like, that's not what it means, right? It means like, what was successful for you today and helping kids see like, what did I do well in my solo today? What was better than last time? What are my strengths? What do I want to work on to get better for next time? And so making the rankings have a self-referent meaning. It's it's about me and what I did on stage today. And I did some things that were really great. And I have some things that I want to work on. And back to growth mindset, I know I can do those things. And I know I can get better. And how I rank to everybody else is, is irrelevant. It's not about that. And when you take that individual approach to competition, you see the most growth uh, physically, like they're just, they're just going to get better faster and you see the better kind of mental resilience to competition, um, it's the ones who everything about it is about how you compare to other people, which unfortunately tends to be what parents do. Um, You know, did you beat them? Were you better than her? Like she beat you last time, did you beat, like they have that piece to it. And some teachers, when we take the comparison route is when we do more damage.
1: So how damaging was a show like Dance Moms?
0: I honestly never watched it because I couldn't deal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it. What I know of it is, um, the constant rankings of like, who was and that is awful to our kids, um, to have anything that is intentionally consistently ranking them against other people. Um, you're creating a fixed mindset you're creating like, well, you will, you can't beat that. And I, I get where it's coming from. We think it's motivational. But there are so many other ways to be motivational that don't damage them on the way. <laughs> we don't have to go there. Uh, it doesn't have to be about that. Rather than ranking a child like against themselves and what got better from last week or what are they working on and what are they trying to do to get better? Um, so it's, yeah, switching that focus from uh, other referent to self reference. It's not about what everybody else is doing. It's about what you have done this today to get better. And it also helps kids own it, right? I think we have that struggle that kids are like, well, they just, they're not working very hard or they're being lazy. I'm like, yeah, because you told them the other one's better. So now they're like, well, why do I care, right? Rather than helping them figure out, it's like, no, you can be motivated and be excited by what have you gotten better at and what do you want to work on? And worrying about yourself, you see harder working dancers than when you rank them
1: so I've played a devil's advocate for just a moment here because I know that yeah. when you talk to professional athletes and certainly're mm-hmm. we're going we're gonna to classify dancers as athletes and I know you deal with not mm-hmm. just dancers I'm sure um, but you know high level performers yeah. a lot of the messaging that it comes from the professional level is they if you didn't make it you're not tough enough And we're not Mm -hmm. interested in someone that's not tough enough because a lot of people have the skills, but we need you to have the mental toughness and we need you to be able to get through, you know, put it aside. And I know that uh, the last Olympics brought to light a lot of of those mental challenges, but I still think that there's that mindset in the industry that it's one thing to be, you know, an amateur and, and be learning another thing to be a professional and has that kind of mindset changed at all at that level or is it is there a disconnect that's taking place with the amateur to professional
0: I don't think it's changed in the sense that professional world still wants that what I think is happening is our we're using the wrong words for what we mean and it's causing confusion so there's a difference between mental health and mental strength and there's this movement for mental health which is wonderful and we need that and we need the awareness of you know true anxiety disorders and depression and um, you know caring for our dancers as humans before dancers i don't care what you can do on the stage if you're not healthy right but mental health is dealing with again, like the, the diagnosed disorders and the struggle, the those very serious mental health struggles. That is one thing. Mental strength is actually the ability to deal with those negative emotions and those negative thoughts, understand them, process them and keep going. Like we want that. And uh, I, so to your question, I don't think the professional world is going to say that we don't need that. We always need that. We need that in life. <laughs> we need to be able to to get rejected. We need to be able to lose the, you know, um, not make it in the audition or, you know, not make it in the competition, um, get cut from a team. Like we need those experiences with the mental toughness guidance of like, how do I take this rejection or failure and understand that this failure isn't about me as a human. This doesn't mean I'm a bad person, right? I got cut from the professional team. Okay. I'm not a bad person. I had, you know, taking that failure as like, what did I learn from this? What did I understand? Am I not a good fit for this company? Are there actual technical skills I need to improve on if this is truly my goal? Right. And so it's that mental toughness piece is taking the negative that's going to come at you and not letting it hurt who you are and turn into a mental health issue. And instead being able to deal with it and channel it and process it in a way that helps you move forward. And that's all I'm trying to teach the younger dancers because you're right, the professionals do need it. But I think we can work on that without causing mental health issues, if that makes sense, like keeping those as separate issues.
1: I think we're in a a really new and uncharted space. Um, mm-hmm. I think COVID brought a lot of things to light that, that maybe nobody had thought about. And we are much more open to talking about mental health. We're much more open to talking about some of the challenges and not looking at always as a weakness. And right. I think if I'm taking anything from what you're saying is that it being having a mental health issue is not a weakness. Absolutely. And that and fighting through it can be seen as a strength mm-hmm. but only if you're using the proper techniques.
0: Absolutely. I mean I think in your reference to the Olympics and when people like Simone Biles are saying I can't do this I think she is the last person I would say is a mentally weak athlete. She's got to be one of the most mentally tough athletes out there. But that like was a very real issue that she needed to deal with. And I think it shows character and strength to be able to do that. Um, And again, like dealing with, you know, whatever athlete you're talking about, having that uh, a true mental health disorder or diagnosis or just concern that you need to look into doesn't mean you are mentally weak or aren't also a mentally tough dancer, right? Those are separate
1: things. I think sometimes we like to look at our athletes as not human. They're they're super, they're they're godlike. And so Mm -hmm. that's why when we see them suffering from the same things we suffer from, we feel that that notches them down a bit. We want them to be perfect. We want them to not have those issues. And in reality, everybody does. And I think that understanding that yeah. is probably part of uh, of, of yeah. what uh, will help with this growth. Um, Absolutely. We have come to the end of, of this discussion. I am fascinated with, with, with some of the ideas. I know it's helped me. And I, I hope <laughs> that, that people listening have picked up some techniques. If somebody wants to get in touch with you or uh, take advantage of some of the uh, counseling you can provide, what resources do you have available and how, yeah. how can they reach out to you?
0: Sure, so um, my the best kind of free way to get, get to know me and get a little bit to know about what I do is my podcast. Uh, so it's called Passion for Dance. Um, I talk about motivation, mindset, resilience, all of this kind of around um, dancers. My focus audience is actually the dance teachers. So people who are out there uh, kind of teaching dance and how can we help this next generation of dancers you know do everything that we were just talking about be able to um teach mental toughness while still protecting them um so yeah passion for dance wherever you get your podcasts um i do have a it's kind of like a personality quiz but it's not a personality um but it's about uh, like a quiz to help you figure out which episodes would be most helpful for you right now and what you need um because there's a lot out there and it can kind of it'll send you a little curated list of what's the most helpful um, so it's just uh, part of my website so my website is just chelseapirati.com, which I hope you can link to, because I know my last name is a little challenging to spell. Yeah, um, we'll do that. Yeah, it's just chelseapirati.com slash podcast quiz. We'll take you to that quiz, or just my website itself. Um, we'll tell you all about um, workshops and speaking and um, anything else I can do to support.
1: Well, thank you so much. Uh, I I learned a lot, and I hope people will check out your podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Once again, we were speaking to Dr. Chelsea Parati, and you are listening to the Dance Talks podcast. If you'd like to watch a version of this, edit it down a bit, but then you can see our, our lovely faces, you can go to dancebugchannel.com and look for the Dance Talks episode with, once again, Dr. Chelsea Pirati. And... I wanna thank you once again. Uh, I really appreciate the time that you've given us, mm-hmm. the insight you've given us, and uh, I hope that people will, will pay attention to what you say because it's very, very important and that mm-hmm. uh, everybody uh, can, uh, can gain from not having a fixed mindset. I, I think I'll take that, if nothing else, away from this talk.
0: That is a wonderful nugget to take with you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you um, having me on your show. Thanks for listening to the Dance Talks podcast. New episodes are available every Thursday at
1: noon.